All right, please open in your Bibles. The Lord has brought us as far as Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39 this evening. So we've made to chapter 39. We've made it this far. And we took this break through chapter 38. It was very interesting, wasn't it? You know, we have Judah. We have Tamar. You got, you know, the next 13 chapters, starting really with chapter 37. We have 13 chapters that are primarily talking about Joseph. And all of a sudden, Boom, right in the beginning of it, after we get one chapter under our belt, we get Judah and Tamar. And it's kind of like some of these things are the same and some of these things are not like the other. What's going on here? And what I believe, what I believe the reason for, and I mentioned this last time, is that it's a great contrast. Because we see Judah, who knew his father Jacob, who grew up in a home of sin, of uh, you know, I'm saying striving. You might even say uh, he was a heel catcher, if you know what that means. It's the connotation a little bit uh, tricky, a trickster. And then we see Joseph, right? The second to the youngest, who grew up with Israel. The transformation that had been going on, the sanctification that had been going on, where he spent more time with his dad walking with God, as whereas Judah spent more time with his dad when he was not walking with God, when he was striving in his strength. And so it's interesting that we had that that break in the chapter there where we had 38. But now as we come into 39, the Lord's going to bring us back and start, you know, more what's going on. Joseph, he's going to bring him down to Egypt. We're going to see, obviously, he was sold into slavery. We're going to see how he's going to go into Potiphar's house. And then we're going to even see how God provides provision and protection throughout his whole journey. And never once will we see Joseph become bitter. You see, I think that's absolutely amazing. Because if anybody had a reason to be bitter, it was Joseph. He wasn't in sin. He didn't do anything to, you know, the ten brothers there that way. And yet, yet in spite of that, he goes and serves faithfully as a servant in Potiphar's house, God gives him favor. He's, he's elevated and lifted as far as responsibility. Doesn't do anything wrong, then we know the wicked one. He's not going to be content unless he throws a, a you know, wrench in there. What happens? Lust. She turns around. I mean, he's only 18. Now, if you know much about Egypt and you know the context, you know much of our makeup, much of the things for ladies as far as seductive stuff, actually came out of Egypt. If you go back and you look at it, came from Egypt. The idea of, you know, when we think of somebody like a Jezebel, you might hear that term, or you speak of someone like that. The idea actually came from Egypt, where they were very much about seductress. It was not uncommon for them to have affairs. It was commonplace at that time, which is why he approaches this young man and doesn't think anything of it. You know, he's 18 years old, and yet he knows that it's going to disappoint God because it's sin, And he keeps himself from it. He flees. He actually runs. Sometimes running is not cowardice. Running smart. He runs. He runs to Jesus. Because you're going to run one way or the other in life. You're going to run to Jesus or you're going to run away from him. He runs to God. And then where does he find himself? In the prison. And even in prison, we don't see him whining. Look at his dad, Jacob. Remember, he was wrestling with God for the blessing. Remember, he was never content And here's Joseph. You know, this all goes on, and Joseph finds contentment even in the prison. He interprets dreams. Two men come, you know, um, Pharaoh sends them. They come down. Two men come, and he interprets the dreams. And he says, remember me. Remember me. 
chapter 40. You know how many years go by? Two years. Two years. And yet Joseph never let go of the original dream that he was given. You see, sometimes when God gives us a vision or a dream or he gives us a word, we're to hold on to that. We're not let to let anything come against that. We're not to let anything steal our joy that way. Joseph didn't. He was able to stay resolved in the midst of a trial. He was resolved. So when I look at this and when we read this tonight, I see great victory. I see great Christ-likeness. Joseph doesn't have to be the only one. You see, each and every one of us can be like Joseph. And maybe, you know, we just enter into the presence of the Lord and trust Him and leave the consequences to God. How about that? Amen? All right, let's begin in verse 1. Now Joseph had taken down to Egypt, had been taken down to Egypt, excuse me, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, please underline that, captain of the guard, very important. We're going to see that again because we're going to link two ideas here. Most people don't catch this when, when Potiphar comes and he, he kicks Joseph out of the house. It says the captain of the guard again. Well, who is that? That's Potiphar. So just, just underline that, stay with me here. All right, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him, right, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down and brought him to that area, right, taken him down there. Now, the Lord was with Joseph, and that's very important. Underline that again. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was a slave, effectively. He was a slave. He was young. He was afraid. He was 17 years old, probably at this time, we believe. He's a young man. He has no idea where he's at. He has, he has no idea of home. He has no idea of anything. Remember what happened? His brothers, Judah specifically, had the idea, let's sell him. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites like that. And they, you know, they took him down and they brought him. And here Potiphar, the Egyptian, he buys him. And he's in Egypt. Do you know how far Egypt is away? Go be Bereans. And start. This wasn't a day's trip. There's no going back. He's in servitude. He's in slavery here. There is no going back that way. And I love that we don't read anything about him giving up hope. We don't read about bitterness. But I bet you deep down inside there was a little bit of his countenance might be a little sad. He, he, he probably missed his dad. Remember, he loved his father. His father loved him. He gave him the Technicolor dream coat. Remember that? Right? He gave him the Technicolor. He loved his, you know, his father's father loved him. But this, this wasn't part of the plan, was it? You're Joseph. You're 17 years old. Some of us think back where we are now. 20, 30 years ago, we were healthy. Things were going well. Our tents weren't failing. That wasn't part of the plan. Our circumstances change. Our God never does. And it doesn't mean He loves us any less. Love is not tied in any way to our circumstances or the fact of, you know, good, bad, indifferent. Christ's love is unconditional. It's, it's, it's a perfect love. It's not like anything we understand on earth this way, and the closest we can get to it is agape love. Agape love, not phileo. Phileo is based on emotion and feeling. It's agape love. And so here he is. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Let me ask you a question. Wherever you are, in your home, your workplace, do people look and see Jesus Christ in you? 
When people look at you, do they see Jesus Christ in you? In all circumstances. Remember, this, isn't, this wasn't Joseph's idea. This isn't, hey, I got the perfect job I want. I'm where I want to be, so now I'm going to experience the joy of my God. No, this is actually contrary to that, isn't it? It's contrary. He's in servitude. He's a servant. This is not part of the plan. And yet, what does he see? He sees the joy of Christ in all circumstances. What's that tell us here? That it's just as Paul wrote in Galatians. We're to walk of the Spirit. We can choose joy in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what's going on. Now, this isn't a faith and prosperity gospel to say, oh yeah, I'm going to have the best of this and I'm going to have the best of that. And Oh no, Jesus Christ himself said there would be oppression and affliction for the Christian. But we choose what we do within that situation. Right? We choose. We all have a choice. God's given us free will. Do we look on our circumstance or do we look to Jesus Christ? Do we look with a temporal worldview or do we look with an eternal worldview? Because our citizenship is heavenly, it's not earthly. And it's only a matter of time. Maranatha. Lord Jesus, come. He's coming soon. Soon and very soon. And so it says, As his master saw the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. You could see God's hand upon him, God's anointing on this man. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Isn't that beautiful? Conditional, willing. He didn't rebel. He didn't exercise his right to say, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Then he made him an overseer of his house. And all that he had he put under his authority. Notice that, not even betrayal. Betrayal. Not even a slight fickle that the master, the, the, fair, the um, uh, Potiphar here would look upon him and go, can I trust this man? This was so unconditional, this trust. And this is, you, you have to understand, in that, in that culture, a shepherd boy, a Hebrew, that's what he is, he's a Hebrew, was considered foul and dirty. As a matter of fact, when we get into 41 and 42, we'll read about it, where, where when eventually he's going to say, okay, go home. You know the account. He's going to say, go home, get your, bring your younger brother with you, and eventually bring your father. He's going to come down, and you, know, you can have the area of Goshen over here, a beautiful land. He's going to meet with Pharaoh, and he says, when you meet for, with Pharaoh, you make sure you tell him, you're a shepherd. That's what you are. You're a shepherd. He didn't lie. He didn't try to change the truth. He didn't try to make things more amenable or, or, or give him a position of authority or his father or anybody else in the family. He says, you tell him where you, you're a shepherd. You take care of the animals. And Pharaoh hears that and his response is, well then, hey man, take care of our animals too. Take care of my animals. They want to do that? But he goes on to say that, you know, jo uh, Joseph explains this, you know, in Egypt... They consider this, this foul. This is, this is dirty. This is more than dirty. This is disgusting. That's what they see shepherds. So here's this Hebrew boy, 17 years old, and he's being put into trust more than most of us have never experienced in our entire lives. The wealth that the captain of the guards would have had, the responsibility to be over his whole home. I mean, we're talking everything, not just the financial, but the decisions that it would have made. All the other servants would have reported into Joseph. 
And they're half his they're probably half his age, right? He's half their age, excuse me. But God's showing favor, and when God's leading, nothing will close the door. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I love that. I mean, we're told in 1 Corinthians 7 that even with an unbelieving wife or an unbelieving husband, if one of the spouses is believing, they sanctify the house and they sanctify the wife or the husband and they sanctify the children. You can read it, 1 Corinthians 7. But it was for Joseph's sake. He was faithful. He was obedient. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. You see, I firmly believe Joseph trusted in God's plan with everything that he was. He didn't trust his feelings. He didn't trust his emotions. He trusted the living God. It was not about what he could see. It was about what he couldn't see. And that's for you here and I tonight. You can't see around the corner. I can't see around the corner. But do you believe the Word of God? It's God-breathed. It's perfect. It's infallible. And He has promises for us. He says He's coming again. He told us that the church would not be given unto wrath. What's that mean? That means that it's just our God's not grammatically challenged. Are you with me? It means He said what He said. His promises are genuine and true. We can trust in God's plan even when we don't understand. In spite of ourselves. I would add, in spite of ourselves. I'm always telling that to myself. I'm always saying, in spite of me, Lord, your will be done. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Can you imagine that? That Potiphar's trusting him so much. I mean, the toast comes out. He's like, well, I guess that's mine. I mean, other than that, I mean, everything else, you know, Joseph. I kind of understand that. I don't know about you, but in my, our home, my, we have four boys. My wife, I'll turn. I said, Lisa, do you know where? Lisa, do you? Do, guys, am I, is it just me or am I alone? I, do, I, do you do that too? Guys? Do you know where such and such is? Never once does my wife come back and go, that's not mine. That's yours. You should know where you put it. She'd have every intention and right to do that, right? She, she would be right to do that. But she comes back and she's like, well, if you remember, it's here. You know, I look at that and I, I, I mean, it's different, but I can relate to where, I mean, he's the captain of the guards. He's, he's the job. He's, he's so consumed by what he's doing. He, he's not thinking about where anything is. How's anything? Are the bills being paid? He's covering it all. And Joseph, he's got all that weight on his shoulders. He doesn't want to disappoint Potiphar. But you know what? He doesn't, I don't read anything about him being overwhelmed either. Because see, when God leads and he puts you on the direct path, his will, he also will finish the work. Because he's the author and finisher of the work. Do you see that? When we get overwhelmed, many times it's because we're trying to juggle. You know, we're taking one too many balls that don't belong in our hands, but we think we can, and we just keep adding them in, and we just keep going around and around. There's an illustration the Lord caught a 
brought to me earlier this week, and it's, I think it's a good one because that's what we do. That's where we begin to feel overwhelmed by adding all these things. Joseph didn't. Joseph didn't feel overwhelmed, and yet he had all this responsibility as a 17-year-old boy. I can barely get my kid at 16 to clean the room, let alone try to get this boy to manage the household. I mean, you, you with me here? Or maybe that's just my home. Maybe that's just my home. <laughs> I love that. He didn't know what he had except for the bread of which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. What's that speaking about? Because who was his mother? Rachel. And we know that Rachel was a very beautiful woman. We know from the, you know, even the response of Jacob, he would look upon her and find her attractive. And obviously from the same gene pool, he was, he, he's the package, man. I mean, if you look at it, he's intelligent. He's 17. He's an intelligent man. He, you know, he's handsome. He's probably got the figure. He's working. He's a servant. He's constantly moving. This guy's the package. He's the package here. He's handsome in a form and appearance. And what does it say next? Circle it right there. It came to pass. It always comes to pass. The enemy doesn't allow anything but for it to come to pass. Because things are going well. Joseph's being faithful. And now strikes the evil one. So it says it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes. Now, do I need to explain to you all what longing eyes are? We, we all get it, right? She's lusting here on Joseph. Now, she said, lie with me. You know, I mean, wow. You know, no dinner. I mean, this woman, I'm really, I mean, really, right? I mean, this woman is forward. This ain't normal. This ain't, uh, y'all laughing. I don't mean it that way now. I just mean this woman's forward like that. I mean, this is very aggressive. Now, in this time, again, in Egypt, women were, like I said, they put the makeup on, they were very seductive, you know, the whole thing. And you don't think for one minute that Joseph was tempted? Now, think about that with me. Wasn't even Jesus Christ our Lord? It says he was tempted, right? He was tempted in all things as we have been tempted. Why? So that he would not only be an intercessor, but a mediator. In other words, we can come to him, and he knows all the things we're feeling, what we're doing, but he was what? Sinless. He overcame every temptation. And most of the time, when we see it exampled in Scripture, what did he do? He overcame it by the Word of God, his Word. He would turn around and give the evil one back the Word because the evil one was doing what? Remember? He'd leave out a passage, or it'd be, you know, one half of the passage. and not to, You know, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God when he starts to tempt him. You, you with me? This is what we see here. But, but Joseph, he didn't have a New Testament. He, he didn't have a, he, didn't, he wasn't carrying around his Torah. He was walking circumspect. Because it already, we already read early on in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. There's no excuses. So those people that, well, I don't really know how to read the Bible all that well. Well, I don't really have a Bible. Well, I'm in another country and, you know, we're not allowed to have a Bible. Look, God has given every man, according to the Word of God, a measure of faith. Now, we want to be sensitive and compassionate in that situation, but everyone was given a measure of faith. It's a heart issue. 
It really comes down to a heart issue. I know mine was. 20 years ago, before I got saved, it absolutely was a heart issue. I had made myself the God of my life because I didn't want to surrender or submit. I chose to submit to a bottle of alcohol. That, that was my God. Anything but the genuine God. You know, and, and we all, many of us came from that. We got saved out of that. Praise Jesus. You know the hippie movement. You know Calvary Chapel. You know our roots. Half of the pastors in Calvary Chapel got saved out of the drugs, out of the alcohol, LSD, the whole thing. People, you're brain dead. Man, five years later, they're up there preaching the Word of God. It's a miracle. You tell me our God can't do anything. Our God's not big enough. People walk into Calvary chapels and they go, Where, where'd your pastor go to seminary? <laughs> Matt? Jeff? Scott? Bill? Chuck? Well, Pastor Chuck actually did. He was the only one genuine in a lot of us. You know what I'm saying, though? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So she looks on him with these longing eyes. Lie with me. Well, turn in your Bibles here to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 13, 14. Let's, what, what's the Lord have to say about this, about lust? See, Paul tells a church he had never been. Remember, he had never gone to, to Rome until the end there, but he had never visited the church in Rome. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. <clears throat> Read with me. Paul writes to them, put on Christ, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's intentional, isn't it? Romans chapter 13, verse 14. That's intentional. He says, make no provision. If it was automatic, would we have to make a provision? Would we have to choose? He says, make no provision for the flesh. To do what? What does the flesh want to do? Where does lust come from? It comes from the, it comes from the flesh, excuse me. That's where lust comes from. Make no provision for the flesh for it to fulfill its lust. Right? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. To the right, a few books here. Look at verse 11 with me. Beloved, I beg you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, as pilgrims. Are we sojourners and pilgrims? Is this our home or are we just traveling by, man? Is this our home? That's right. No. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You see that? So let me ask you a question. I know there are people in here tonight that are, that are waging against lust. So pornography, right? They turn on the computer. So here, here's, here's the thing. You know, a lot of times in ministry when we have folks that are... 
we'll, we'll make sure in the churches we have covenant you know, keepers or tools like that in the church to make sure we just remove any opportunity or potential from that. But, but let's go even beyond the tool for a minute. What did, he, what did we just learn from the Lord? Make no provision, right? We're, we're not to create a way. What's that mean? That means the minute you turn your computer on, and I don't know about, you know, my, oh my, Lord, come. You can't even go on to a news site anymore without something popping up that you know doesn't belong there. And yet, you wonder how these things get there. You know where it's coming from. You know it's a billion-dollar industry, pornography. Everybody should know that. It's a billion-dollar industry. It's sick. It's sick. And, and yet, we now have psychologists telling us and, and telling that child pornography is healthy now. I mean, can you believe that there are psychologists? I'll bring it in. There are psychologists that are doing research now saying that your young person inside you needs to be able to express themselves that way with young children. You... you the Lord told us they'd be given over to debased minds. We should not be shocked by this. It's appalling. It's an abomination is what it is. But I tell you, friend, that any one of us, you see, it's not the temptation. Because as we know, Jesus, even him, was, he was tempted. He didn't give in to the temptation. He didn't sin. The temptation, it's not the first look. It's the second and third Something comes up on the computer, turn it off. We put controls on the computer, even for the kids, because it, literally you go into a library today and you bring up something, and you try to do research, it's everywhere. I, I tell our young people, don't open the door to the opportunity to that. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I'm talking about if you're coming over and you're courting, or you're not even courting, you're just friends and you're of the opposite sex, stay in the family room, be with the family. That's what we used to do. We didn't go off into the bedrooms with doors closed. That, that didn't happen. The, the, you were in the family. First of all, the houses weren't that big back then. You know, everybody had to be in the same area, and you heard everything. And, you know, but that's another story. I mean, literally, you don't do that. You don't go in, you don't go in a bedroom. You don't say, well, we're going to go up there and study for the home. Why would you put yourself in that situation? That's what the Lord's trying to warn us here. He says, don't give provision for the lost. Don't men and women, you know, at the church here, I'm not alone with a woman in our counseling. And if I do have a woman down here, I, Tammy, this, she, our, our church secretary, she's here. There's always somebody in this building if there's a woman with the opposite sex. We have cameras around. Why do we do that? Not just for security, because we want to do all things in decency and in order. We want to be above reproach. We want to be above reproach in all things. Because we're not going to give the devil an inch. We're not going to give him an inch. But in your personal lives, you know, you're working, you're married, and you've got to go into a meeting at work. Leave the door open. Be, be above, you know, reproach that way. Don't give a provision. Don't give away. You might think, oh, Pastor, you're being silly at my job. Look, at you, you, many of you know I, I used to work. September 15th is my last day at Microsoft. I worked at Microsoft for 13, 12, whatever years it was. Do you know that I wouldn't ride alone with a woman in a car? Do you know how foreign that was to a worldly company? Do you know that I would get backlash because of that? They would come back and say, that's reverse discrimination. I actually had somebody pose that this last year. Reverse discrimination. 
I said, no, I want to be above a reproach. Now, if there's obviously two women or something, you know, okay, there's more people. But I tell our elders, you're never to be alone with a woman or someone of the opposite sex. I tell the ladies that are, that are uh, leading or, you know, helping out in ministry and doing it, you're never to be alone with a man. Why? Because that person has a wife or a husband potentially. And just the mere thought of that person knowing that you're alone can allow the enemy to, to wiggle in contention, division in the heart, because the imagination can start moving. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we all need to be real. Nobody's arrived. We shouldn't pretend here. We've all had that. You know, our husband, our wives, oh, I wonder if that, you know, of course. We trust them, but we want to be above reproach. And we're going to see how that's important here because Joseph's going to find himself in a situation where he let his guard down for a second. But it was intentional by Potiphar's wife. So let, let's continue here with me. In verse 8, she says, but he refused. Now, I don't know about you, but that's refreshing to me. I mean, wow. You know, obviously she was probably, I mean, look, let's, let's face reality. Wealthy people, he's a, a person of power. What do they usually have? What is the term they use for them today? Trophy-wise, somebody else just said it. I didn't have to say it. What do they use? Okay, powerful men. I mean, come on, look in Congress. You know, I want to say, look at Congress, friend. Look at all these. I mean, you have these men that look like me, right? And they're with these women that I don't know if they're made up. You know, somebody put them under the knife. I don't know what happened. It's just not natural. And yet... And yet, oh, we laugh. What was it? What was the, there was a, uh, not a sitcom, but a, a document, a show online. What was it called? The Swan or something like that? Was it that? Was it, where, where the plastic surgery, you would go on and they would do the plastic surgery. You, you heard what happened and one of the reasons they can't, you know that, right? One of the husbands sent his wife to get, to go to the Swan because she wanted, she wasn't comfortable with the way she looked. They had kids. She goes off, gets the, the whole thing done. And I'm not just saying, oh, my ears need to, or my neck, you know. I'm talking like head to toe done. So much so that she comes back, and what happens? The husband doesn't even recognize her. She looks in the mirror, because you know how you're not, they, they, that's part of the show, I guess. I never watch it, but, but they, they do a reveal, I guess is the term. You know, I think of a reveal of a car, but this is a, you know, a person. They do this reveal, and she starts screaming. And she goes, I want my old face back. I want my old face back this poor woman, because she thought somehow by changing her features, that was going to make her whole. You know what that woman needed? She needed Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that'll make us whole, Jesus Christ. But she turned around, she did that. Then she gets in front of the, the, the husband like that. The kid, the ba- I don't remember how old, maybe seven years old, the kid starts crying. I want my mommy back. I want my mommy back. Joseph, he was tempted here. He looks, I mean, here's a 17, 18-year-old kid. Look at the integrity of this kid. Do you know what the, 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 the marriage rate of, uh, around Christians, do you, know what, do you know what the divorce rate around Christians is today? It's the same as the world. It's 50%. I can remember 20, 30 years ago when Pastor Chuck was teaching this very passage and he quoted the statistic. Do you remember what it was back then? It was 
And here we are 20, 30 short years later. And it's the same, the same percent as the world, 50%. I think the world's actually coming down and we're staying there. I mean, it's just, you know, the wheat among the tares and the tares among the wheat. But he refused. I love that. And he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he committed all that he has to my hand, my hand here. Wow. Do you know that a marriage ends around the world every 30 seconds? You see, Joseph understood pain. Every time we look at doing something like that, it's always self-centered. Adultery, infidelity is very self-centered. It's focused on the self. It's not others-focused because if we took one moment to think about the other person, we wouldn't do something like that to hurt them because they would be hurt. They'd be broken. There's no one greater. Well, actually, he says, do you know, you know, going back here, he says, with me in the house, and he committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Why? Because circle that, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Good answer, Joseph. Iniquity is a choice. Good answer, Joseph. How many people do you see walking around today going, what we see is wickedness? You turn the news on, you watch other things. When you see murder, and we see, I mean, you can't every few minutes on the news, you know, it shows, uh, I don't know how you all watch it if you watch it before you go to bed anymore. I mean, you might as well watch a horror movie. I mean, it's just as bad anymore with all the things that are going on. But, but you, you turn it on, and the, the news people, I never once seen them go, look at the wickedness that's going on. They don't call it what it is. It's wickedness. But, but Joseph here, he calls it what it is, and he says it's sin. And let me tell you who this sins against. He says it's against God. It's against my God. He makes it very clear. There's, there's no confusion here. Sexual immorality is a sin against God. It's the sin or the stain that stays. It's the stain that stays. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. What this implies in the Hebrew is that she would not relent. You ever, guys, look at me for a minute. You ever get a list? Huh? You know what I'm talking about. Look at you all. Scared to even move your wives or whoever's next to you. You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor? I know nothing of what you mean. You know what I'm talking about, the list. You get the list. You don't get the list done in a timely fashion. It doesn't ever get brought up again, right? You never, you never hear about the list, right? No, you hear about the list every day, and rightfully so. Ladies, you get them. You get them, ladies. I'm with you. And that's because my wife will hear this, and I have to go home tonight. <laughs> but, but in sincerity... This is what she's doing. She's nagging him. This is a constant nag. She's nagging him over and over again. Lie with me. Lie with me. Lie with me. She won't relent. She won't relent here. 
So Joseph said day by day that he did not heed. Do you know how much that had to weigh on him? Think about that. Her to lie with her, to be with her. She's just trying to wear him down. That's what the evil one does. He just tries to wear us down and wear us down. But it happened about this time, right? That's kind of like saying, and it came to pass, right? We've seen that before. We just read that back in verse 7. When Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men, underline that, none of the men of the house were inside. See, this is intentional. They would have had servants all over the place, different, you know, I mean, this is the captain of the guards. They're quite wealthy. They have servants. She did this. Potiphar's wife was intentional. She said, everybody get out. You know, go, go do this. Go do this. She was intentional and deliberate. Do you realize the enemy? You have an enemy. I have an enemy. Our enemy is very intentional. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't have siestas. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't take time off. Like, all right, I'll give you a day to you, and a day I'll come at you, a day for you. No, he doesn't do that. He's relentless. He's a lion on a leash seeking who he can devour. He doesn't relent. And so it happens, there's no man of the house inside, he's alone, that she caught him. What's that implying here? She grabs him. This is like he's trying to motor through. He gets in there and goes, uh-oh, checking the spirit. I'm not supposed to be in here. It's awful quiet. She comes around the corner. He's like, get out of Dodge. He's going to move. And she's like, you ain't going nowhere. Whoa, and grabs him. Right? You know what I'm talking about. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran. Circle that. Fled and ran outside. What should you do when sin's standing before you? If there's a time and a place to stand up and say, well, I'm a man, I don't run. Or I'm a woman and I don't run. Let me tell you something. Even the archangel Michael, when faced the devil, said, you know what? I, you know, Jesus rebuke you. Jesus will handle you. There's a time and a place when we run, we get out of Dodge. And that's smart. You run away from sin. If there's sin in your life, if there's alcohol, drugs, or something, and it's in your house, and you're going over there and you're flirting with the whole idea of it, you dump it down the toilet. You run from it. You let it swirl and you'll never see it again. You, let, you run from it. If you're about to go somewhere and you get, you're get a young person, you're old, whatever, you get to a place, things aren't as they are supposed to be, you walk in, all of a sudden... You know, you're a married man. Friends from work invite you over. There's all these girls there. You turn your butt right around and you walk out of there. And you don't think twice about it. Right? And the same thing for women. You find yourself a girlfriend's girl's night out, whatever. You're going to relax, do your thing, whatever that means. I don't know if you guys like, I don't know what you do. But whatever you do there, play cards, I don't know. Whatever happens, if something's inappropriate there, you, you get your butt out of there and you don't worry about what anybody else thinks. He didn't turn around and worry about offending her. He didn't worry about hurting her feelings. He got away from the sin and he ran fast and far. He fled. It was smart. It was wisdom. Verse 13, And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought us to, or brought us a Hebrew to mock us. Again, he's a shepherd. You know, they understand that. That's what he was saying. He's talking about the husband, Potiphar. He did this. 
He came into the lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. She has no problems lying. Sin begets sin. She has no problems lying and and deceiving. She's not concerned with his well-being. What's going to happen to this Hebrew? My husband is the captain of the guard. You know what a captain of a guard was in Egypt, right? They were the ones that were responsible for the executions. They would then deem the sentence on the executions, and then they would carry out it with the executioners. That's what her husband did. She had no problem with that. You see, sin looks appealing, seductive. It even looks like it's with you and your friend. Drugs, alcohol, you know, oh, they, they make me feel better. They make me relax. They, they make me feel like a different person. Oh, yeah, they do. And they'll consume you. And you th- everybody thinks, man, I can beat it. I did. I know I did. I thought I could beat it. I really did. If you would have asked me 20 years ago, I would have I swore to you that I got it under control. How many times you got to black out before you realize you don't got it under control? You know, I can remember there was one night I, I blacked out. I was driving, and I ran into this mailbox on the side of the road, and I woke up. I somehow got home, and I remember the police coming to my door the next day looking at me going, did you take out a mailbox, this, that, and the other. I mean, it was a long list. I don't know what I had. It was a bunch of things. Luck, praise the Lord, nobody was hurt. That was God's protection. And I remember looking at the officer, and with a straight face, I went, no. And he said, can you come outside, sir? I said, sure. Came outside. I'm, I really have no recollection of this, but I had it under control. I had it under control. I look out. And on my license plate, which, by the way, was missing, I should say where the license plate was supposed to be, there's grass, there's a rope hanging, there's, I don't know what that thing was off it. I'm glad Lassie was back home, you know. Whatever it was, it wasn't good. And the guy goes, are you sure about that? And I had to look him in the eyes and go, sir, I don't know what I don't know. You got a problem. You know, fill in the blank. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, fill in the blank. It will destroy you. Sin is, has no remorse. This woman had no remorse. One minute she was friendly with him. Come lie with me. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Next minute, what does she do? Crucify him. Crucify him. Where does that sound like? How familiar is that side? Asa'an in the Hebrew, Hosanna, right? And then how fickle people are. Crucify him. Where we've heard it. What is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ? How fickle people are. How fickle sin is. Don't dance with it. So he came to mock and they, to lie with me and cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with the words like these saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. 
So what happened is I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garments with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Now, question, Christian. Question, believer and unbeliever. Friend, who was his anger aroused at? You've never asked that question, I bet. Many of you have not asked that question in this passage. Look at it with me very closely. You be Bereans. I'm going to tell you what I believe. But you be Bereans here. He's the what? He's the captain of the guard. What's his job? To sentence and execute. You with me? His anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took and put him into the stockades and killed him because that's what he would do if a man in here caught his wife with another man or another man advancing on him and you're an executioner and you've done it a thousand times and you have no problems sentencing people, you're going to send him to the what? To the chair. He's going to get executed, right? But wait a minute. Is that, did I read that right? No, I didn't. Where was he sent? He was sent to prison. Wait a minute, that doesn't add up. He's the captain of the guard. How do I know that? Hold your finger here, look back down to verse 3. So he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Hold your finger there with your other little finger and go back to you know, verse 1 of chapter 39. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the what? Captain of the guard. Same man. Same man. He's an executioner. What did he do? He sent him to prison. Who was his anger aroused at? I believe he knew his wife. I believe he knew his wife. Because any other time this man, he would have had him killed in a second. As many of you probably would. As I would. Before we knew Christ. Right? But he doesn't. And then look what happens. It's very interesting here. I don't know if you've, if you've exegeted this, really line by line like this. Then, the, then the Joseph's master took him out and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. He didn't kill him. Now, can you imagine Joseph at this point? He's going, Lord, what next? But notice he doesn't curse God and die. Notice that he doesn't even complain. I mean, this really, do I say the word really, really again? Like really, really, really? This really, really, really is not part of the plan. How many people in here have had situations in their lives where things have begun to unfold and you're looking and going, Lord, what's next? You're just, you know, the old idiom, waiting for the shoe to drop, right? Well, how much more? But what's your countenance? Are you trusting in the promises of God? Are you looking in? We, I mean, he's going to prison now for something. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet he doesn't complain. He doesn't, he doesn't go. We don't read while well, he petitioned the captain of the guard to say, by the way, I didn't do it. He trusted the Lord. This is remarkable to me. In the days that we live that where, I mean, everybody would stand up and go, wait a minute, No! This is uncomfortable. This is bad. But he trusted where God placed him. He trusted that. I, I think this is remarkable for the generation we're living in today. 
for the, for the time we're living. We need to have this mindset. God, where you place me, that is where I will be and I will find contentment in it. That's hard. But nothing's impossible with God. I'm glad Joseph didn't trust his feelings because I know his feelings and his flesh were telling him one thing. But the Spirit of God was telling him something different. This is part of my plan. But the Lord was with Joseph. We see it there again. We saw it in chapter 39, verse 2. And we see it here in verse 21 of chapter 39. God's reminding us. He's with Joseph. And oh, by the way, he's with you. He's with you right now. If things aren't going according to plan, if, if you are going through something right now that is very grave or even uncomfortable, God is with you. Just like Joseph, don't trust your feelings. Don't use your eyes to try to look and try to figure it out and strive. Trust the Lord. Because watch what will happen here when you put your eyes on him. But the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. Once again, God puts him in a place or, or, or puts him in a position of authority. He gives him favor in spite of all the things that are happening around him. God's hand is with him. And once again, people are looking upon upon that and seeing even in prison, this man is walking in the Spirit. He's the salt and light. And everybody's witnessing this. Everybody's seeing this. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Doesn't that sound familiar? Just like Potiphar. He trusted him implicitly. Didn't look into anything that was in his, you know. Now, scholars have looked at this, and when you look at it from a timetable and some extra biblical, he was, produ- many believe, somewhere between 11 and 13 years of his life he spent in prison here. 11 and thir- somewhere between 11 and 13 years. He was, what, 17 or 18 years old? By the time he even gets brought, two years more will go by. Well, the dream interpretation is we get, you know, we don't we'll run out of time tonight, but as we get into their next time, read ahead, two more years will go by before the wine, the cupbearer, right, will remember him and bring him to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He'll be almost 30 years old. It's amazing when you think of it. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. You see, God shows favor, and we'll read one more verse, and we'll, we'll one or two more verses, and we'll stop there for this evening, and then you read ahead. And it came to pass after these things that the butler, that Butler, the idea in the Hebrew there is, is the cupbearer. It's a, Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah was a cupbearer? Nehemiah chapter 1. This is a cupbearer. Butler. What did a cupbearer do? He had the best job in the world, right? No. Now remember, the Egyptians, did they drink wine or did they drink beer? 
believe it or not, predominantly their drink was, was beer. I mean, you can even read, um, some of the archaeologists have gone back and read some of the inscriptions and everything, and they would talk about the beer and the way they would make beer. So they would predominantly drink beer. So he would go be, you know, be Bereans, go back and search it out, go look at the archaeological records. They're literally, and some of them would write how, how their employees were drunk on beer and were good for nothing, you know. So some things like Solomon saying, you know, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, some things haven't changed. But, but he was a cupbearer. His job was to taste it, and if it was poison, not so good for him. But if not, you know, he was like, yeah, this is, wait a minute, I'm not sure. You know, he would, he'd, he'd drink, and then he'd hand it off, right? So there was what? A deep relationship between the Pharaoh and the cupbearer. Just as we'll read when we get to Nehemiah with Cyrus, okay, you know, the king, and Nehemiah. There was a very tight relationship. That's why in Nehemiah we see something like when he walked in, Cyrus is able to easily see the countenance of Nehemiah was down. He was sad. He could see that his countenance was down because there was that relationship. It was tight. I mean, you're trusting this man with your life. He's drinking, you know. It was tight like that. And then the baker. Now, the baker isn't, you know, I I think we all picture the, the chef hat, the whole nine yards, the warm bread with butter and... Oh, yeah, the Italian in me is coming back at the butter, the warm bread, you know, olive oil just all over your beard. It's awesome. No, that's not what this is. This is the chief cook. This would be, in that time, the chief cook. And so this is the guy that would have been over the other cooks. He would have been in the kitchen as the other cooks are preparing the meal. Obviously not as close to Pharaoh, but he would have gone to Pharaoh and said, what do you want to, you know, what would you like to eat? Pharaoh would say, you know, why don't you make me this? He would go back and give the orders, okay? Of the king of Egypt and offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler or the cupbearer and the chief baker, as we see it there, the chief cook. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Circle that again because that's important, in the prison. So whose custody is he in? He's in Potiphar's custody. You with me? The place where Joseph was confined. Why do I go back up and say that again? Who was he angry with, or who was his anger aroused? In verse 19, would Potiphar put the man in the very same place that he was going to dwell and have oversight with if he couldn't stand the man? If the man had done something to offend your wife, would you put him in the same place where you would see him every day? Absolutely not. I believe his anger was aroused with his wife, not Joseph. But he also was a wise man in that he knew that keeping Joseph in the home with his wife was not proper, not going to happen. Right? And a certain captain of the guard... (laughs) Charge Joseph with these men. So here it is, Potiphar again now also says, Hey, Joseph, I give you oversight of this. I want you to look at these, look over these two highly respected men. You know, one's the chief cook, and the other one's the cupbearer. And the cupbearer is very close with Pharaoh. He says, I want you to oversee them. And he served them so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt were confined in prison had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night. Now, that's pure coincidence. There's no way that that, you know, that's just coincidence, right? That both of them had that same dream or a different dream, but a similar dream that same night with its own interpretation. Now, we're going to stop there for tonight. 
We'll come back next time. We'll get into the dream. See that? I feel like the dun-dun-dun, you know. I don't even know how that song goes. I never watched the show. But you were with me. You know, the idea here, read ahead. Read verses 6 through, really, chapter 41. And think about it for a minute. Think about how Joseph had to feel. I mean, 11 to 13 years. Some of us, we're a year at a job, and we can't stand that job. Or we're a year where we're, you know, we've got to pay back tax or something happens, and we're going through it for a year, and we're like, it's never going to end. And yet, many of us got ourselves into the situation. There's consequences to our previous sin. Even though now we're saved and we're doing the right thing, maybe we've made choices years ago when we, we weren't saved or maybe when we had, were backslidden or something like that. There's consequences to sin. And I, I can't help but thinking, I mean, I look at Joseph's heart and what a beautiful heart it is. You know? Don't you long to have a heart like that after Joseph? And I know Joseph had a heart after Jesus because you can't act like Joseph. You can't carry your character like Joseph if you don't have Jesus Christ inside you. It's not man-made. 